depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless pain, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand.
tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me ever to adore thee, may I still thy goodness prove, while the hope of endless glory fills my heart with joy and love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Never let me wander from thee. uneven ways, but if my Savior calls me to that sweet home on high, I'll live with him forever in glory by and by. Oh, yes, I'll live in glory, live in glory by and by. I'll tell him, 
sing love story, tell love story, high Then with my dear Redeemer, then no more, no more to die. Oh yes, I live in glory, glory by and by. I want to be your service along this pilgrim way. And lead the lost to Jesus, as fervently I pray. As day by day I travel, I'll keep him ever nigh And live with him forever in glory by and by Oh yes, I'll live in glory, living by and by I'll tell and sing a story, tell a story on high There with my dear Redeemer, there no more to, to die Oh yes, I'll live in glory, glory by and by The end I know Nearing by faith, I look away to yonder old supernal, the land of endless day. I'll cling to him forever and look beyond the sky and spend the endless ages in glory by and by. Oh, yes, I'll live in glory, living by and by. I'll tell and sing the story, tell and stay on high. There with my dear Redeemer, there no more to to die. Oh, yes, I'll live in glory, glory by and by. Good morning. Welcome to our Wednesday morning Bible study. I'm Clayton Wilfer. I'm the pastor here at Joy Church in Fountain Hills, Arizona. I'm glad that you're with us this morning. So a couple of announcements very briefly before we begin. So uh, coming up starting next week is Lent. So we aren't going to have any Bible study starting next Wednesday through at least two weeks after Easter. Um, But I I would invite you, obviously, to join us for our Lenten series and for Easter as well as we celebrate our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Ash uh, Lent begins next week with Ash Wednesday. So it's going to be online as well, 7 p.m., and it will be a full time of worship. And then after that, we will also be uh, having in-person and online as well 
Uh, and it won't be necessarily a full time of worship. We're going to have songs. We'll have prayers um, and then uh, a testimony. So I'm going to uh, I've asked some people to give a testimony of their faith, a uh, short 10 minutes. And then we will be covering what is the AFLC and have a series of talks about what does it mean to be a free and living congregation? What does it mean to be Lutheran? So that will be our Lenten series. Again, this is our last Bible study until at least two weeks after Easter. Okay, uh, let's have our time of prayer here. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us so richly for holding us close, for uplifting us when we are in need. I pray for all of those who are dealing with physical difficulties this morning, whether it's surgeries, recovering, dealing with illnesses. I pray that you would be with them and heal them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, here we are. We are going to be in chapter 13, but as we have done before, just because it's Wednesday morning, right, and to get the brain cells going a little bit, brief, brief review of chapter 12. So in chapter 12, there was the woman and the dragon, and talked about how the woman really, uh, I believe, represents the church, the, bod the faithful body of believers. But there is the dragon who represents Satan and, and uh, all the powers of the earth. So, and that's going to come into play in chapter 13. The dragon represents Satan and all the powers of the earth who follow him. His one desire, his burning desire out of hatred, is to destroy all believers in Christ Jesus. So, the woman, the dragon, Satan, and then we also found that Michael, the archangel, was the one who battled Satan and cast him down to the earth. Now, this is not this before creation when Satan was first cast down. Uh, this is later on. And so now we find this. And by the way, if you're doing your study notes, they are online. I uh, got them up a little bit late this morning, but they're there. Uh, but we covered this last week. Having failed to destroy Christ, the dragon tries to destroy the people of Christ. He uses his mouth, representing deceit. And when deceit fails, he tries persecuting power. So I think this is a good grounding for us for chapter 13. So in chapter 13, we find the first and second beast. But this really is a continuation of chapter 12. And in chapter 13, we see actually simply greater designs of Satan's war against God and God's people. And we see that the beast, or you could say even beasts here, if you want to expand that, tries, should be tried, uh, the beasts try to take the place of Christ, literally the anti-Christ. So that's what we've got going on here this morning, chapter 13. It's a continuation of the battle, the war that Satan rages against believers. So... With that, hopefully your brains are going. Um, let's go into chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 1 and 2 says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth like a lion's, lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Okay, so quite the picture 
Um, I have a picture. I'll go full screen for a moment. So you can see the leopard's body, the lion's mouth, the bear's paws. Uh, this is quite the picture. And when we actually start to study this one, and I know I've talked about this before, that there's many, many Old Testament references uh, in Revelation. Here, there's definitely references that go back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 7. Well, hey, good morning, Judy B. I'm glad that you got on, finally got on on Facebook. Yay. Glad that you're with us. Okay, so... We cross-reference Daniel chapter 7, and we're going to see some things. So I'd like to see what you see. Let's go back to the text first. Revelation 13 says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, and with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Okay, so that's Revelation 13. Now, if we go to Daniel chapter 7, it says this. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heavens were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked, and its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, behold, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth that devoured and broke, and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. So when you compare Revelation 13 with this vision that Daniel had in Daniel chapter 7, there's a lot of similarities. And what we find here is, one, the beast comes up out of the sea. So you see that in both, that the beast arises from below. And uh, stirring seas in the scripture are often about tumult and strife that is to occur. You also notice that the three there are three creatures that are the same. So you have uh, the leopard, the lion, the bear. Those are identified. The last creature isn't really described, but it has great power and strength. And it does have horns. So you see kind of um, in Revelation 13, a kind of coming together of all of these particular beasts forming one beast, as it were. So the question you have to ask yourself, is the beast in Revelation literal or a symbol? So if you are online this morning and you are watching, I'd be curious what you think. Is the beast literal or it is a symbol? So a little sip of coffee here. Literal or a symbol? So for when I read this, I can't help but see a symbol. And in fact, when you read Daniel more, and it talks about 
that these are kings or powers of the earth, if you will. I mean, we can broaden it out. Powers of the earth. And so this beast coming up would represent a, a symbol. And Rose says, I think, symbolic of Satan. And um, yeah, they did. So good point here, Rose. In Revelation chapter 12, the dragon is the symbol of Satan. Here, what we find the beasts, these are under the authority of the beasts, so they point to Satan. Um, But they are symbolic then of earthly powers who have bowed down, who have worshipped and given all authority to Satan, not to God. So when we take a look at the beast rising up, we, we are on, on cue to take a look at rising powers. Well, it could be president, uh, presidents, kings, emperors. It could be simply the rich and powerful. And, and Rose says, I'm amazed at how black your hair looks online from your jacket. Yeah, the camera's just picking it up different today. Uh, The jacket's actually navy blue, believe it or not, and uh, I guess it just makes my hair look black too. Uh, No, no hair dye. Um, So there we go. All right. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. By the way, we really don't know what the wound is, what it represents. Later on, uh, I'm going to talk about parody, but um, actually in just a moment I'll talk about parody. But don't know specifically what this mortal wound actually came from. Verse 4, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it. And Judy B., yes, I see that you say it's a a symbol. Yep, I would agree. Agree that uh, the beast is a symbol. Okay, so who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? So what we find here is Satan shows his hand in that he is trying to usurp God's power. And commentators see this chapter as Satan's Parody, parody of God, parody. You've probably heard the word, but, you know, what does parody actually mean? Well, uh, in, in one definition, it's closely imitated for comic effect or in ridicule. You see that many songs are parodies. So I've got actually a parody. I haven't uh, written it out fully. But you know uh, the old song from Kansas, Dust in the Wind? Well, we have dogs, a dog specifically by, uh, from one of our neighbors that just barks and howls all the time. So I have, in, instead of dust in the wind, all we are is dust in the wind. I, I have dogs in the wind. All I hear is dogs in the wind. Okay, so there's my parody. Um, I don't know if that was worth a a chuckle or not. But Satan is parroting God. And in this case, the definition is a feeble or ridiculous imitation. So how is there a parody here? Well, in Revelation, the beast says, who is like the beast, or the people say, who's like the beast, or who can fight against it? This is a direct parody uh, against God. In Revelation chapter 15, verse 11, it says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, and doing wonders? So where you see a comparison and contrast. God, uh, Satan trying to usurp God and parodying him, ridiculing him, contempt. Isaiah says, To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? 
Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who can bring out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. This talks to the power, the majesty, the glory of God. Satan wants that glory. Okay? And so we see the beast stirring up the people and giving glory to the beast, to Satan. Also another parody. On the beast it says, blasphemous names on its head. So names. Uh, Names are important. And indeed, Christ, Jesus, has many, many different names. I am the Alpha Omega. I am the beginning and the M and the end. I am the light of the world. I mean, these are all names and titles. But on the beast, it has blasphemous names, names of contempt and ridicule against God. But in Revelation, it says, on his robe, this is Jesus, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, we see that Satan parodies, mocks, ridicules. And this beast, and the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, 1,260 days, or time and a times and a half. Okay, three and a half years. It opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Okay, blasphemous, blasphemies, blaspheming. These are, uh, this is the word in these two verses here. So blasphemy, Um, and, and I'm going to go to the definition here. Blasphemy, the act of insulting or showing contempt. And I think that's the best one. Showing utter contempt or lack of reverence for God. I mean, when we say lack of reverence, uh, that actually has great meaning, but it doesn't have the bite in it that the word contempt has for us in this day. And even blasphemy has lost its meaning in in many ways. But we at least understand contempt, contempt. So the beast is given authority by Satan and uses the same tactics as Satan. And the main tactic of Satan is by words, by actual contempt of God himself. And we see this in our culture right now that there is certainly a coarsening of our language, isn't it? I mean, even our leaders are using language outright that uh, in days gone by, they probably would have said behind closed doors, but would have at least had a certain level of respect uh, for the people. But now what we find is contempt, an outright contempt by followers of Satan, by people who reject God, uttering blasphemies, contempt. And here we actually can cross-reference Daniel again. So I gave you some examples here, Daniel chapter 7, uh, verse 8, 11, and then chapter 11. So let's just go to Uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 8 and 11. Again, this is the vision that he's had of the beast. I considered the horns, and this is one particular beast. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up from them another horn, a little one, before which the three, three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were the eyes, were eyes like eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. So why is it symbolic, this beast? Because it keeps pointing to a person or persons, a man or certain men. 
and verse uh, 11 from Daniel 7. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. So this, this horn representing a person speaking. But also chapter 11. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of our fathers, of his fathers, or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. And this is what the beast is doing, magnifying himself above all. Okay. So let's go back to Revelation 13, starting with uh, verse 7 and 8. And it, was all, and it was allowed, so God allowed this, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Let that sink in. And all who dwell in the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. So those who do not worship Jesus will worship Satan. They won't think they're worshiping Satan. They'll be worshiping some power, some person who will seem to be their savior. But in fact, they will be worshiping Satan. This is uh, uh, sobering, isn't it? You see, Satan uh, desires to be worshiped above God. So this is, I'm going to go full screen so you can see it. Uh, this is the image of the for the satanic temple. So you can see really the image of Satan, and what? Who do you find? Who do you find uh, worshiping him? Well, you have a little girl and a little boy. Uh, this is as blasphemous as it gets. This is truly blasphemy. And so when people say, "Well, we we aren't worshiping Satan." It's just a symbol. We're just uh, we're we're just humanist, right? We're just trying to do a, a a good deeds throughout the world. Well, that's just garbage. It is utterly garbage, and it is deception. They they are acting under the authority of Satan, who simply wants to be worshipped above God. So here's the question for you. I'm do a little coffee break here. Where did Satan try to have Jesus worship him? In the New Testament, where did Satan try to have Jesus worship him? That is, Jesus worship Satan. So a little coffee break. Where did Jesus, where did, where did Satan try to have Jesus worship him? Do you remember? Where do you think? Well, it was when Jesus went out into the wilderness to be tempted. So it says this, Matthew chapter 4. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. 
So Satan even tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. And Judy B., yep, you got it exactly. While Jesus was in the wilderness, Satan desires to be worshipped. So it says this, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Yep, and Rose, you got it too. Uh, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. So during this time, those who do not worship Satan or the beast, right? They aren't worshiping the beast, so they aren't worshiping Satan. They will be persecuted. So those who are faithful unto Christ will be persecuted. And some will go to captivity, some will be slain. And so we are called to endure. And again, we can go with this one here, endurance. To remember these words, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. That's what we are called to do. We are called to be steadfast in our faith. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So this is the the call to be encouraged as believers, even in the midst of this trial and tribulation, to remain faithful, to endure in faith to the very end. Okay, we got to continue on here. Verse 11 and 12. So now we get a second beast. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. Well, who speaks like a dragon? Well, that's Satan himself, right? It exercises all authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and in, and in its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Again, don't know what that mortal wound is. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Okay, so in this regard, we find another parody. So remember back in First Kings, First, First Kings, uh, Elijah called down fire, right? Elijah called down fire, whereas the false gods could not, whereas Baal couldn't. But here the beast does make fire come down. So it does make a great sign as to deceive everyone. Also talks about making an image of itself for worship. This is an idol or pure idolatry. And again, this is all a parody, of uh, 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 a poor imitation of God himself. But these great signs will deceive people. And this beast, by the way, is also called a false prophet or the false prophet. So there will arise during the end times the false prophet, the false prophet of the beast. It says this, uh, Revelation 19.20, And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image. So the false prophet will deceive greatly. So here's the question. Where in the New Testament, where have we been warned about the coming of Satan and the false Christs and signs. So it's not like we weren't given a heads up about this. 
where in the New Testament do we get this warning? And there's one in particular that I'm thinking about, but there's, there's also another. But specifically, and I'll give you a clue, Jesus gave that warning. Do you remember it all? So Jesus gave the warning. It's in Matthew chapter 24. Because the disciples say, well, how, how are we going to know when all of this is going to happen? And so he talks to them about the end times. And he said, verse uh, 4 and then uh, 12, actually. See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. So we're going to have a lot of people say, I am the Christ, but there is one who will perform great signs, great signs, right? Like you would think, well, this has to be from God, but it's not. It is a deception. And actually, Paul wrote about this too in his second letter to the Thessalonians. He said, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God says, you want deception? Have at it. It is all, all yours. I will give you what you seek. Deception, idolatry of Satan himself. So we have been forewarned about this. This is why I do get irritated at what I see regarding presidential elections especially when Christians talk about presidential elections, because on the far side, you get people who are so fanatic, fanatical, uh, so engaged in it. It's like they are trying to elect a savior. And it is that type of uh, going after an elected leader one who will save the people from this wicked time, uh, that I get really concerned that people are going to be deceived when some leader rises up. Now, I'm not saying that for everybody, and I'm not saying that electing a president isn't important for our country. But if you start to have the feeling that you have to, to elect that person to save our country, and that person becomes a savior almost in your eyes, that's idolatry, folks. That becomes idolatry. Again, I am not discounting how important our leaders are for our nation. But this is, I think, a slippery slope for us all. For us all. Okay, so we have been warned about false Christs, about the false prophet. And verse 15 here, it says, And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. All right, going on. Also, it causes all both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. Okay, so here's another parody. Believers are sealed with the name of the Lamb and the Father. We are sealed 
by the name of the Lamb and of the Father. The parody is the imitation. Those who worship Satan will have the mark of the beast, and either on the forehead or on the hand. Okay, so let's continue on. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. Okay, so it seems to identify a man, not many men, but a man. And his number is 666. Okay, you have heard this before, right? The mark of the beast, 666. So, why 666? Why 666? And the full answer is, we don't know. Don't know. There's uh, been a lot of speculation back and forth, and I emphasize this word speculation. Seven, we know, is a perfect number. It is a number of completion, and we see that throughout Revelation, especially the number seven. We see it throughout Scripture. Seven is perfect. Six is not perfect. Okay? So um, there's also this term, and I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it, gematria. gematria. I'm just going to go with that. So what does that mean? It's the practice of assigning numbers to the letters of the alphabet. So in Hebrew, they would do this. So um, if, for example, my first name's Clayton, the first uh, letter is C, and uh, if I was just going to uh, assign a number, uh, A, B, C, three, okay? So I could assign a number. Well, in Hebrew, they can assign numbers, and they did. Um, It's not scriptural. There's no reference of having had to do that. Uh, But it's the practice of assigning numbers. And so then, well, then how do you assign numbers? And boy, you can assign numbers different ways. One of the ideas is that it was Nero. Nero was a nasty guy. He was a nasty guy. And if you do Nero Caesar and you add up those numbers, you can get 666. So that's one way to do it. Um, Rose says, the devil comes in the sixth trumpet, Jesus at the seventh. Uh, Yeah. So, um, you know, you you could go with that, but the answer is, I don't know. The people I've read, the commentators, they don't know. Uh, there's just a lot of speculation on it. But the mark of the beast, the mark of a man. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? So I know a lot of people are looking for who's the man. There's also a question, right, with our technology nowadays. Is a medical implant or RFID, little tiny chip, the mark of the beast? And indeed, there uh, in 2018, there was there's a company in Wisconsin. I don't remember what the company is, uh, but they had put a little RFID chip. I'll go full screen here for a moment so you can see in the hand. So right between the thumb and the first finger, in that fleshy part right there, there's a little chip. And what they can do is they can go to um, security doors, vending machines, and other such items, and it will read that number on it. And it will read that particular number, and then they can buy something So is that the mark of the beast, our technology? Well, specifically, it's not the mark of the beast in that regard. Because the actual, the mark of the beast is only for those who worship the beast. 
could the technology be used to put the mark of the beast in people's hands and on their foreheads? It could be done. Does that mean if I've got that RFID in this from this um, company in Wisconsin that that's the mark of the beast? No, it does not mean that. It simply means that this is a possibility of how a person could be marked. But remember, it is specifically for those who are worshiping the beast itself. Pretty dark times, right? Think about that. I mean, it, it just gives one pause, doesn't it? So here's the question. Do we need fear that the beast will win? Now, I know if you've been with me since this entire time, what's the theme of Revelation? Jesus wins, right? Jesus wins. Um, and we've heard that over and over again. And I think we need to hear that over and over again because it's so easy to get into the darkness of how nasty it's going to be during the end time. But for today, I'd actually like to have us end with Daniel chapter 7. Because Daniel chapter 7, there's the vision of the beast, right? But in the midst of the vision of the beast, it says this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Yes, Satan has dominion, and he does go on this rampage, but he does not have an everlasting dominion whatsoever. And Rose, you are absolutely right. Jesus Christ is the victor here. He is the victor. So we find these words written from, wow, uh, when was Daniel? Uh, I, I, 20, let's, just, let's just say 25, 2600 years ago, somewhere in there. Can't remember the specific time range from Daniel. But we have those words of assurance from back then. We have those words of assurance that we find in Revelation as well, that Jesus truly is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. All right. That is chapter 13. Quite a chapter, right? So we will pick it up uh, sometime after Easter. I'm going to take a vacation uh, just for my own well-being, right? I'm going to take a vacation after Easter. Uh, take two weeks off, but then we will come back to it. Uh, in the meantime, please, please join us for our Lenten services at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. And rest in the assurance that Christ Jesus is the victor. Amen, amen. Have a blessed day. Thanks. Bye-bye.